Hello, Bulls fans, and welcome to the CHGO Bulls podcast here today on a Wednesday in the US, Wednesday evening. Hope everyone is traveling well. I am Mark Kay from Australia, joined as always by my good mate, the handsome one, the best beat writer going around. It's Will the Goat Gottlieb. Will, how are you, sir? I'm going to start having to live up to these just fraudulent news um, introductions at some point. We'll see if that, if that actually happens. No lies were told. And joining us as well for the third straight week, we are on a streak. I think this is a first officially a streak. We are streaking with the young Joey Spathis, who is in the background, pressing all the buttons, supporting us here today. Joseph, always good to have you around, my friend. There he is. <laughs> Corporal Spathis. <laughs> Sergeant Spathis. Whatever, whatever your uh, title is, whatever your level is, we appreciate you being here, sir. But William... I'm glad to be here with you today because we are talking some stuff that's connected to the Bulls. Um, we're going to try and connect the Pascal Siakam trade to the Indiana. If it's Bulls not connected, team. we're going to connect it. If it's Yeah, exactly. If it's not there, we're going to try our best to make it so. But I do think there is permutations for what went down earlier today in the NBA with uh, Pascal Siakam obviously moving from the Raptors to the Indiana Pacers in a, in a trade that went down a little bit earlier, as I mentioned. We'll take you through that today, as well as obviously connecting this back to the Bulls. And I'm trying to understand if this Siakam deal has any relevance or way forward with the whole Zach Levine stuff. So uh, before closing out the show with maybe some latest trade slot that is uh, circulating around the NBA currently. But uh, William, let's dive into the Siakam trade deal or the deal that sent Siakam to the Indiana Pacers. Uh, maybe for those who haven't heard in the rare case, maybe you can get them across what the deal and the uh, permutations of that said deal was. Ended up being a sort of three-team trade, um, but it sounds like the the third team was actually not included. This might be a separate trade. But uh, for the bulk of it, we have the Pacers and we have the Raptors. Going to the Pacers, we have Pascal Siakam and a 2024 second-round pick via the New Orleans Pelicans, which is that third team I mentioned the Toronto Raptors re- uh, received Bruce Brown, Jordan Nwora, Kyra Lewis Jr., a 2024 first-round pick, which is the uh, which is from the Pacers. Another 2024 first-round pick, which is the worst of Houston, Utah, Oklahoma City, and Los Angeles Clippers. So that's looking like it's going to be a bottom two or three pick in the first round. A 2026 top four protected pick via Indiana, and a second-round pick uh, via the. New Orleans Pelicans for the for in in order to take on Kyra Lewis's five point seven million dollar contract, which puts the Pelicans under the tax line, which is big for them. They save a bunch of money doing that, and of course we have Pascal Siakam heading to another Central Division rival, Indiana Pacers. Um, you want to just get straight into reactions because I was not surprised that this happened. I mean, I think we were kind of hearing about it all the way back from last night. Shams had the report that they were deep in discussions, but of course it didn't happen until this afternoon. Um, but three first round picks, I I guess the first thing we should say is not all first round picks are created equal. These are pretty low value first round picks, but still I think sticker shock, at least for me, when you have a guy who's an expiring contract, who's making 37 million, who's in his age 29 season, about to be 30. Um, who's, like I said, going to be a free agent at the end of this year. So I thought those, um, obviously some assurances or at least, uh, the Pacers feel confident that Siakam is going to resign with them next summer. But that's another piece of this trade too, that you have to factor in, which is the upcoming max contract 
that um, Siakam could sign with the Pacers, which I believe is five years, $247 million. Yeah, and this is why I was looking forward to this episode because I dare say in this segment and potentially the next one, there might be some disagreements between you and I, which is, like I said, I mentioned this last week, it's rare that you and I diverge on certain things. And, and it, Well, ever since you've gone sea red, it's it's become a little <laughs> bit more frequent. <laughs> what do you mean gone? I've always been sea red. What are you talking about? Sea red, Mark. Um, <laughs> no, look, I think I, I understand it from your point of view in terms of you know, seeing three three first round picks for a guy that's expiring in on some level it kind of doesn't make sense. But I think contextually for who the paces are, what they're trying to be now and into the future, particularly around the way Halliburton has sort of just boomed to the, at the rate that he has, they they kind of they kind of got to match that in some respects. And for them, like they were projected to be a cap space team, but how much does the cap space route really matter for a team like the Indiana Pacers when they're potentially bidding against someone like the Philadelphia 76ers this offseason, who probably would have been a team chasing Siakam. Yeah, sure, there's risk in, in, attached to this in the event that Siakam may walk, walk in the offseason. I assume they've done this deal with some sort of you know handshake agreement in the back whereby they've sort of agreed to discussing or putting in place an extension or a new deal in the offseason. So I doubt they do this move without some sort of confirmation from Siakam and his agent that they would seriously consider re-signing in Indiana. But I think for a team like for the Pacers, I think this you could, this is kind of what you need to do. One, to, to, make, to make it seem for your star guy that you're doing everything to, to support him. But also, like I said, like when you're competing with other teams that maybe are more fancied or you know have a better option potentially, like the Sixers may do, you kind of need to pay some level of tax in this regard to, to get in the market for a guy like Pascal who may not have considered Indiana in, in free agency. I think... In this scenario now, like you have two or three months to sell him on your environment, your culture, your coach, your star guy. Like if he gets to witness that and feel that in real time, it's no longer a sell of theory for the Pacers in the offseason. Like they can actually point to, hey, this is this is how things went for the 30 or 40 games you were here. Like that he knows what it's all about and what the Pacers are all about. But also for them, like the leverage play with that fifth year, like getting him now and getting his bird rights from that standpoint. Um, if I'm not mistaken, like I believe that would be the case. That matters for, again for a team like the Pacers, whereby like in free agency they could only offer the the four years, like every other team could. Now, what they're trying to do is trying to stack things on their side of the argument, I guess, and that's why they've had to do what they've needed to do in this deal. And to your point, not all picks are created equally, and I don't think the picks that they sent out were overly problematic from my side, at least. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, if you if you think about it in terms of the assets that they had available to move, I would say that those are probably the three least valuable, right? When you consider Benedict Matherin was a sticking point, Jarris Walker was a sticking point, both, uh, I think, seventh overall picks uh, from the past two drafts. You also have Andrew Nemhard, who was a second round pick, but has been far outplaying that value. Um, and so you don't have to give up any of those guys. You don't have to give up a 2028 or 2030 pick which obviously is a much scarier prospect when you don't really know what your team will look like five, six, seven, eight years down the line. Um, so I don't think it's like a massive overpay in the sense that they shipped out way too many assets. I am just a little bit lower, I think, than consensus on who Siakam is as a player. But I'll say this. I mean, I think the fit is phenomenal. I think it's the best fit that the Pacers could have gotten. I think it's the best fit for Siakam in terms of really capitalizing and maximizing what he does well 
Um, mm-hmm. He's going to just look so good next to Halliburton pick and roll with yeah. those two. You have a, a floor spacing five. You play fast. Mm-hmm. You get out in transition. Uh, yeah. you, you can defend and switch a little bit more. Like I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess to me, and we'll obviously tie it back into the bull situation and Zach Levine, but to me, like the Delta between what Pascal Siakam is when you have to factor in a max contract, a five-year max contract that you're going to be giving him next year. And so basically six years of Siakam under contract compared to Zach Levine for this year, plus three more under contract. I just don't feel like the Delta is three draft picks. And so when you factor in what everybody is saying about Zach and, you know, all these fake trades that you see about like the bulls having to attach an asset to get rid of Zach, like that is the part that I think doesn't really make sense to me. Like I said, I'm a little bit lower than consensus on Siakam. I'm not saying he's a bad player. I just think he's a little bit overrated, but I think it's going to look really good next to Indiana. And the bigger question to me is like, okay, now you have the Bucks who are a powerhouse. You have the Pacers who are looking good. Like the Cavs are still better than you. And they have Donovan Mitchell and all these young players that are continuing to grow. Like, where are you going from here? So even aside from like the Zach Levine element of it, I think it just reinforces this idea that the teams in the East are getting better. And the Bulls haven't done anything for three years. And so whatever that is, I just feel like they need to make a move. That's really, I think, the the Bulls piece of it for me. No, and look at continuing that line of thinking, a team that has been, I guess, comparable to the Bulls over the last two to three years has been the Raptors. Now, pivoting to their side of their this trade here, they've traded OG. They've traded now Pascal Siakam. They obviously lost Fred Van Vliet in the offseason. They are pivoting to something different. They are trying to do something different, albeit they've probably waited too long. So I guess, you know, two questions here. But have they waited too long, I guess, is the question. And are they feeling the effects of holding on to continuity too long, which we know our friends in Chicago potentially are, are doing right now? But similarly, like, should Bulls fans be somewhat Maybe jealous isn't the right word or envious. Maybe he's not the right word either. But like, should we be, well, what's wrong with it? Like envious. Should we be envious of the fact that a team like Toronto is picking a lane? A team like the Indiana Pacers are making a very clear, decisive move. We, we can question whether we like the move or not, but like we can't really question what they're trying to do in terms of understanding what their lane is now. Like that's very clear for Indiana. It's very clear for what Toronto is doing. Whereas the Bulls were sort of still second guessing things i guess so from that perspective even though the raptors may have held on a little bit too long and cost themselves um, in potential deals had they moved og and pascal a little bit earlier should we be envious in the way they've sort of using this season now to pivot and to try something different whereas the bulls are seemingly continuing this fight for the plan yeah i mean that part of it is just what you want to see out of your team so if you Mm -hmm. are in the running for the plan and you feel like once you get there anything is possible then probably not but if you feel like you want a more substantial direction you want longer term um blueprint yeah i think so but i mean to me the real thing here is that like for that 10th seed you're looking at the Bulls, the Nets, the Hawks, and the Raptors. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the Bulls have broken away from the pack a little bit, but they're still only a game and a half up, game and a half up on ten um, ahead of the Nets. So you've got the Bulls at nineteen and twenty-three in the ninth seed, and then you've got the Nets at sixteen and twenty-three, the Hawks at sixteen and twenty-three. Uh, Nets are ahead of them. I'm sure they have some sort of tiebreaker, but I mean they're tied in, in record and in standings. And then the Raptors, who are a game and a half behind them, at fifteen and twenty-five. 
Like, are we sure the Raptors are even really out of the 10th seed? Like, I think there's yeah. a world where they consider they continue to like compete because of what they got back. You bring in RJ Barrett, you bring in Emmanuel quickly, you get guys that hopefully can help you compete. Maybe you flip Bruce Brown into something else, or maybe you keep him because he's a good player and mm -hmm. you can still be competitive. You still have the ability to pick a lane and also have, um, you know, certainly they could have probably gotten a lot more for OG last um, trade deadline. I'm not sure how much better they could have done for Siakam. Like it feels like not to say that they got some sort of massive haul, but they did pretty well for themselves. Um, maybe they could have done a little bit better had they done this last year. But to me, it's like this idea that even if you do trade some of your pieces because of the standings around where you are, it's not like they're completely out of it now. And I think that's kind of the the thing that I've come to, especially with regards to trading Caruso is like as good as he is and as much as he helps, I don't really think he like takes you out of the running for the 10th seed just because of the rest of the teams around that in that area. So like if you trade him, maybe you get a couple of extra picks that you can move forward with, but you also can stay competitive now and that kind of scratches both itches. So all that to say, um, I do like the way that the Raptors have approached this. I do think they waited too long and could have done better, but I like the path they're on. They've also, it's a different situation because they have their franchise cornerstone. The Bulls do not. And so it's a little bit easier to make these decisions and especially swallow these tough pills in, in the form of trading away really important players at the franchise when you know you have that next guy who you can build around because the Bulls just simply don't have that. True. But this, I, I guess... I would have, I would be surprised if Toronto do try to do the whole playing thing, and I say that because their pick is currently protected. I believe top six. If mm -hmm. it's out of the six, it goes to the Spurs. Now, if it's going to be out of the six, it won't be, you know, beyond that by too much. So potentially that would be handing over the eighth, ninth pick or whatever it might be in this draft to the San Antonio Spurs. So maybe it makes sense for them to be as bad as possible quote unquote as bad as possible to your point like they've got scotty they've traded for iq and rj if they reroute bruce brown for another pick or two and in addition to the picks they've acquired here like they've got a good base happening from that perspective but i think it is in their best interest to maybe do some sort of rebuild slash retool slash tank here to ensure that they keep their pick for for 2024 um, or give it the best odds to keep that pick for 2024 so yeah, your point is is well made that they're still currently within the the uh, the whole playing race, and maybe this team, the, the way it all comes together post this Pascal trade, maybe they find a, a, a different gear or yeah, a, a different way of playing that enables them to, if not stay in the race, then you know really vamp their way up uh, within the race. But who knows? Let's see. But I guess that is a permutation for the Bulls in terms of the Eastern Conference that maybe this is still a playing content a competitor for them. Maybe it's not. We mentioned the Hawks there. They're consistently in trade talks as well. Uh, I would be shocked if Dejounte Murray isn't moved at some point. So, like, what does that do from a uh, you know a competitor race in terms of the plane? But from the Pacers' point of view as well, like they've reinforced themselves. We saw the Knicks make a move earlier. Let's see what Orlando and Miami and Cleveland and these types of teams do. But I don't know. It's the more I think about this, it kind of feels like the Bulls are really stuck in that ninth spot. I don't see them really jumping up towards eight, seven, six, seven, eight, because like I said, the pace has just got better. Uh, the Knicks have been good since OG has arrived. The Orlando, Orlando Magic, if they want to make a move, they can make a move, and they're already four, four, uh, four games over 500 already. Whereas, like we just spoke about, Atlanta potentially may go backwards. 
uh, it's kind of in the Raptors' best interest to maybe stay backwards. Let's see what the Nets do too. So I don't know. It kind of feels like all these teams have some space to do some stuff to reinforce their position in the top eight. Uh, the Hawks and Raptors can go backwards and really embolden their tank race where the Bulls are, again, sort of floating in that ninth space. So I don't know. It kind of feels like there's still so much basketball to be played up, but it, it feels like already that the Bulls have the ninth seed sewn up in some respects. Well, we'll see what happens to the Magic. They've been struggling, um, like you said, still four games over 500 and four games ahead of the Bulls in um, in the standings. So, you know, the way the Bulls have been playing, it wouldn't like totally shock me if they got up to eight. I don't see them getting any higher than that. But like the difference between eight and nine is a whole playing game. Like you've got two tries to get into the playoffs. You're not going to get the seventh seed, but or I guess you in theory could get the seventh seed if you win that first playing game. But the best the Bulls can do in the uh, as the ninth or 10th seed is win two games and get to the eighth seed. Whereas if they win one or two games in the seventh or eighth seed, then they actually have like a little bit more security in that play and which does matter. Um, but I guess like the real point that I'm trying to make with that is maybe the Raptors do tail off a little bit and they are five games back of the fifth spot in the tankathon standings, uh, five and a half games back. Um, Sorry, four and a half games back. So they, I mean, they could go that direction. They could just stay competitive and end up kind of in that spot anyway. Um, but then, okay, you look at the standings and now it's just the Nets, the Hawks, and the Bulls. The Nets, or I'm sorry, the Hawks are sounding like they're going to be a fire sale team. The Nets are absolutely spiraling right now. They've lost three in a row and eight of their last 10. Um, I just don't know that like the Bulls are really going to fall that far back unless they completely blow it up. And so to me, it's come to this place where like you can still make some selling moves while also remaining kind of in that same kind of area code that they're in right now and i think that's probably the best path forward we'll see what they actually do but to me they they do like it's almost kind of a nice problem to have even though you're not going to really climb up the standings maybe you can still be competitive and also kind of acquire some stuff but we'll, we'll see how that actually happens yeah no doubt uh yeah there's still obviously we're still several weeks away from the trade deadline. Like, let's see what the Bulls do if they do anything. But like we said, the, the Nets could do some stuff. Maybe the maybe the Nets are a Zach team, and then that completely changes the dynamic of both of those team seasons. We we mentioned the Hawks. There's there's other teams around that sort of periphery space as well that could do some things. The Lakers. We've spoken endlessly about them being a Zach team. So there's so many different ways this thing could go. And hell, maybe the Pacers aren't done doing some stuff. Um, certainly for this offseason uh, at this deadline but de definitely in the offseason they're still in a position whereby they can be a cap space team like they've got some stuff they could they can still deal right now like buddy hield and if you wanted to trade buddy hield and ben uh, ben manathron for something like you you, you could so let's, let's see where it goes there's still a few weeks left obviously before the deadline uh, a lot they could actually still, still be in the zach levine sweepstakes because of all the stuff that they kept like in theory i don't think they will but they could yeah uh i would be shocked if they were but yeah in theory definitely that is possible but uh let's move on william uh, i want to talk zach levine and bring it more home to the chicago balls uh comparing zach to the or the potential zach return to this Siakam turn but uh return but before we do so can you tell everyone about our friends at empire empire today all i do is floors 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 no matter what with empire today you get to shop at home with the convenience and find the right products for your needs with quick and professional installation at a low price guarantee. Empire is the best place to get new flooring. So of course they have copycats, but Empire can't be beaten on quality, service, speed, 
So competitors advertise low quality products that Empire simply would not carry. They won't promise the lowest prices because anybody that does is not putting those floors in their own home. But they have a virtual floor designer and it's a great way to see how these new floors might look in your place. It's easy to snap a picture and instantly see how new floors will look in your room. Shopping for floors at big box stores can be frustrating. You might talk to someone today that was working in plumbing yesterday. Flooring is all Empire Today does. They live and breathe flooring so you can be confident you're getting honest upfront advice. They also pride themselves on convenient shop at home services. They help customers shop for floors where they use their floors so they can see exactly what those floors look like in their own home with their own lighting and their own decor so they can make an informed decision. They have warranties. So if an issue does arise, just call Empire. The service warranties themselves. You don't have to track down a manufacturer phone number. So schedule an in-home estimate today. All listeners can receive $350 off when you use promo code CHGO. You know the code CHGO, $350 off at Empire Today. Go to empiretoday.com slash CHGO for details. Yes, William, and our friends at Game Time, all they do is tickets, tickets, tickets. They hook you up with the good stuff, friends. So if you're not using their app, like one, I guess my question to you would be, what the hell are you doing? Uh, why are you missing out on just absolutely last minute, uh, the best and lowest price guarantees on last minute deals? So our friends at uh, Game Time are hooking us up with a great offer. All you need to do is download the Game Time app, create an account. Get your hands on some tickets, whether it's a you know whether you want to go to a basketball game, a comedy show, a music event, whatever it might be, a theater show, whatever that looks like. I've never been to a theater show. I don't know what that entails, but it doesn't matter because our, our friends at Game Time do. They can hook you up with those killer last minute deals, all in prices. You get to view what seats you want to uh, sit in before you actually get to the event. You can use their uh, intuitive app, and you get a pretty clear view as to what seats you're actually purchasing, which gives you, which uh, certainly gives you a peace of mind when you are laying down your dollars for these tickets. So, get your hands on this. Like I said before, download the game time app, create an account, use promo code CHGO, and when you do, you get twenty dollars off your first purchase now William if I am trying to get my hands on some Bulls tickets as an example I'm earmarking a couple so we've obviously talked uh, Pascal Siakam he's coming to you to the Indiana Pacers the Bulls have the Are you Pacers trying to tell me you're the... coming to Chicago no I'm not but I'm saying breaking like, news ah, no, damn. <laughs> unfortunately not but like if, if people are in the Chicago land area or anywhere across the globe and want to make their way around to uh, to see the Bulls play Pascal Soyakum and in the, in the Indiana Pacers, Wednesday, March 27th, 2024. They're in the UC playing the Bulls. So if you want to see Soyakum in a Pacers jersey doing the thing with Halliburton against the Bulls, then that's an opportunity. Another another day or another game that I've earmarked, uh, Tuesday, February 6th, 2024. Potentially, potentially the last time we see Zach Levine in a Bulls jersey. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Who knows? But if it is, maybe that's a, a game that you want to you know, potentially go and see. So like I said, download the Game Time app, create an account, promo code CHGO for $20 off. Obviously terms uh, do apply, but it is that easy, friends, to save yourself 20 bucks on your next event. But pivoting to the Zach Levine conversation. Now, whether you're going to the the Wolves game or maybe you're seeing Zach in March 27 against the Pacers, look, let's see, because obviously there's still a lot of things to happen with Zach and the Bulls and the whole trade deadline which we're going to be continuing and banging on about for the next three weeks here on this uh, fine and beautiful program. But today, William and I wanted to, to I guess, lock in and, and hone in on the Siakam deal. And if, and if, well, if at all, it means anything for Zach, the Bulls, and that potential trade. So 
simple question, straight up, William. Does the Siakam deal impact or affect the uh, Zach trade at all? Or does it return for a Zach Levine in a trade? I would say indirectly, maybe a little bit, but overall, probably not. I mean, you look at the the most recent kind of blockbuster trades. Uh, you have Siakam now, which was the three first-round picks. You have James Harden, which happened at the beginning of the year. That was three first-round picks. And so it's like these situations where the team who was trading did not seem to have a ton of leverage. There were not a ton of suitors. It was really just that like one team was really interested. And so they were able to kind of get to squeeze those teams in order to give up as much as they wanted. I mean, I don't think any, there's really not, I didn't think there was any justification for the Clippers to be giving up what they gave up to get James Harden when nobody else wanted him. He's going to become a free agent. It did not seem like the Sixers had any leverage, but all of a sudden you're getting a ton of expiring money. You got three first round picks coming back. Like that was a haul. And so like, does that affect what the Bulls could get for Zach, even though these guys are not perfect players, even though their contract situation is really murky, does that mean maybe the Bulls could get a similar return for Zach? I don't really think so. And the reason why is because the main difference there is that Pascal Siakam and James Harden had at least one suitor and Zach Levine does not appear to have any suitors. I think if there was anybody that was seriously interested in Zach, the trade would already be done. I think if there was anybody seriously interested in Zach, the Bulls might be able to get a little bit more than what it seems like is floating around at least. But mm-hmm. from where I'm sitting, like the only thing that matters right now is does anybody want him? Is anybody willing yeah. to take him on? Is he the guy that teams can convince themselves is the one to go after? And until that changes, it does not really seem like anybody's going to be giving up anything, let alone, you know, an overpay. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And like, that's the fundamental difference between this whole thing. Like, even if we feel like, I, let's be clear. I think Siakam's a better player than Zach Levine. Do I 100%. think it's worth three first round picks? Like, is is that the Delta? No. But I can also understand why it is in the sense that, you know, even though they're similarly tiered players, let's say, even though I do think Siakam is better, he is a different archetype to Zach. But the most important part is that which you touched on, like, Siakam had a market. It wasn't just the Pacers that were chasing him. Maybe they chased the hardest, but the Warriors were supposedly uh, interested or thinking about a Siakam deal, what that may look like. The Dallas Mavericks, the Sacramento Kings, there may be one or two others that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. So there was three to four teams that were interested in Pascal, which allowed a team like the Raptors sort of to, to, to drum up the value that they did for um, for him in a deal. And getting back those three first round picks. So to your point, like we just haven't heard anything concrete like the Siakam stuff or the OG stuff in relation to Zach. Like there's just been nothing close to that. And if anything, it's been the complete opposite whereby there's been reporting around that there's no teams interested in Zach. No one wants him. Uh, And if anything, the only things we've really heard about Zach is Rich Paul coming out, talking about the fact that he would like to go to Sacramento or would welcome a trade to Sacramento. Obviously, the whole LA thing, we know why that makes sense. But beyond that, we haven't really heard anything for Zach, which is why we're in the situation we are, which is confronting, I suppose, on some level, because we as fans have to reckon with that. Um, We can all feel a certain way about Zach, and we can be disappointed that guys like Siakam or OG or whomever are getting certain returns. But at some point, like I, I guess we just got to accept what the NBA is telling us. Now, maybe things change. Maybe between now and the deadline, a team gets desperate and their season is falling apart, or maybe the, the inverse is happening. Maybe they're, 
you know, advancing at a rate that they didn't expect, much like the Indiana Pacers, and they want to bolster and add to that team. And maybe at that point, things change and Zach becomes an option for those teams. But right now, that's kind of all we're doing is like hoping for something dramatically to change within the landscape because Zach in in his own or on his own doesn't have the ability to really maybe change the market or that landscape in the same way Siakam did when he entered that trade portal. Zach has been in that portal, but the context isn't changing. So I don't know that. I guess that's why, not that we as you know, two idiots here on, on YouTube have much control over the situation. But I guess I, I feel like I have even less control over it because no one is interested in Zach. Whereas like if you're a Toronto or a Siakam fan, like you kind of feel like you potentially could, could get something back because at least there were teams that were interested in your guy. Yeah, and I think, like you said, that's that's the biggest difference. That's really the only difference. To me, I understand that Zach Levine is not really thought of very highly around the league. I'm not sure I understand fully why. I get that he is making a lot of money, but other players are making a lot of money. And like Siakam is going to be making even more money when you pay him next year. Um, people are talking about, you know, wanting to add shooters and players who can be like complimentary stars. Well, number one, like every team who has multiple stars has multiple max contracts on their books. And I think Zach Levine is, with the exception of the Pacers, probably. Uh, a player that can fit on more teams than Pascal Siakam could have. So like, again, I think Siakam is a better player. I think the fit there is going to make him look even better. And I, I think he's just in general, like kind of a half step or a tier above Zach just in a vacuum. But this idea that like Zach is this negative asset that he is like a worse defensive player than D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves, which is just like asinine. Um, I don't know. I just think like the narrative about him has gone so far but that really does affect his trade value. And it's also probably why, you know, I just don't know that I see anything actually happening here. Now, you mentioned teams getting desperate or teams wanting to accelerate things. I think where it actually does have an effect on Levine, the Siakam trade, is just like the general landscape on, around the league. You know, there's not very many players right now who are on the market. You can now point to DeJounte Murray. You can point to like maybe some of these other lower level players. And DeJounte Murray, all things considered, is probably a better asset than Zach because he is under contract for longer, he's younger, and he is not making as much money. Um, I don't think he's anywhere close to as dynamic of a scoring threat or an off-ball like scorer, but you can like kind of convince yourself that that's a more palatable contract to trade for. But okay, so maybe he gets traded to the Nets or the Kings or the Lakers. Now, what do those other three teams do? when their two primary targets are off the market. Does that kind of make teams a little bit desperate? Um, if the Lakers are still 11th, you know, a, the day of the trade deadline, do they now have to really face reality and go, well, do we want to waste this year with LeBron or do we want to make an all-in move that could yeah. potentially really help us? So I don't know. I think a lot can change. It's still three weeks until the trade deadline. And I expect teams to kind of have to reckon with themselves as far as like who they really are and, and how far they think they can go. But until a team really like decides they like Zach and want to trade for him, even if we disagree with the perception around the league, that's the reality of it. Yeah. God, hundred percent agree. And now I'm wondering like, does a team like the Sixers not oh, I, in the rundown? I've said re-enter the frame, but I don't even know if they were in the initial <laughs> in the initial uh, Zach Levine sweepstakes just to be positioning them re-entering. 
But, you know, put that aside. Do they enter the Zach Levine uh, sweepstakes now? Because two guys that they were potentially positioning themselves for, particularly in the offseason where they're hoarding or have the ability to create so much cap space. I think it's like $55, $60 million in cap space. You just seen OG go to New York, which would have been a Sixers target. Pascal has gone to Indiana, who may still be a Sixers target in free agency, but assuming he comes to terms on a new deal with Indiana for the full five-year max, then he's not going to be a Sixer. To the Philadelphia 76ers, seeing what they're doing right now with Embiid and Maxi, knowing Embiid's injury history, knowing the fact that he's... How many more, more, more good years do you have with him? But he's at that MVP, MVP level right now. Like... Do you does your perspective on Levine change? Does your perspective of hoarding all that cap space for July change? And do you cash in and sort of take away from maybe that plan now for a guy like Zach Levine? So like that's that's the team that I immediately went to who I wasn't really considering previously for Zach because I just I, I would have valued cap space more, knowing that I potentially could have targeted someone like an OG or Pascal, but if they're now off the board, if Paul George re-signs or, or extends in LA just like Kawhi did last week, then what are you really even doing with that cap space in July? Does it even make spend, uh, sense to hoard your cap space for July or do you take a punt on someone like Zach Levine? Maybe you still don't because it's a lot for a, for a guy like Levine, but I, that's the kind of team I'm thinking about who can maybe enter into this this whole thing that maybe we haven't really discussed to the same degree that we have like the Lakers as an example or the Kings. So I think a couple of things could affect that. Number one, um, what happens with Paul George before the trade deadline? If they can come to an extension Mm -hmm. agreement with him, that really knocks like all of the like moderately interesting free agents off the list. Yeah. So you have LeBron, obviously sounds like he's going to pick up his player option. Paul George has a player option. He could either pick that up or, uh, renegotiate and extend if clay thompson that's probably going to be a warriors resign at a lower number but who knows i just don't really see him ending his career anywhere else you have tobias harris obviously is a sixer you have harden who all indications point towards him resigning with the clippers you have siakam now with the pacers drew holiday's got a 40 million dollar player option don't really see him declining that or if he does it will be a longer term extension you've got gordon hayward he's not very exciting to me you've got kyle lowry he's not very exciting DeRozan, Buddy Heald, Mike Conley. And so the list kind of goes down from there. To your point, I think if DeJounte Murray gets moved, who are you really going after? And so it's this question of like, you know, are the Sixers as currently constructed capable of winning a championship? Maybe. But I think that the best thing that they could do right now, if that's the situation, is re-sign their guys on one-year deals or two-year deals with team options so that they can like roll this over and do the same thing again ahead of the 2025 free agency when, again, you've got LeBron coming up. You've got Jimmy Butler at that point. We'll see what happens with Paul George. Fred, Fred Van Vliet is under a team option. Gobert, Kyrie, um, Drew Holiday again. Donovan Mitchell becomes a free agent. So there, there is more optionality if you kind of kick the can down the road. But if you do that, you run the risk of kind of wasting this season mm-hmm. that Embiid is having. And to me, yeah. as great as they're playing right now, I think when the playoffs come around, you're going to need another scorer. You can't have Maxi on the court for 48 minutes. You can't have um, Embiid just like creating everything when he's out there and Maxi's not. I just don't know if you can win a championship with Tobias Harris as your third best player, but maybe you can if he's your fourth best player and you can package, you know, Robert Covington and some of the other expiring contracts to go get a Zach Levine or a DeJounte Murray or whatever. So 
I definitely think that the the 76ers should make a move. I know their fans and um, you know, people around the league talking about them are like not so interested, but I, to me, it's just like this game is so different in the playoffs and as dominant as they have been in the regular season. And they have been, I just think you need that third guy in the playoffs to create a shot. And they don't have that right now. No. And, and look, bringing this back to the whole Pascal and Zach, uh, Zach thing, like um, this is where I, we were forging a case for Zach versus a case for Siakam in terms of, you know, a trade asset or, or a guy on a specific team. Like I still think, Someone like Siaka makes so much more sense for the Sixers than than Zach, but you know he's obviously potentially not available for them. But you know, you, you mentioned there that the Sixers need that third guy. They need someone like potentially Zach to be their third guy on the playoff team. And I'm not saying I don't believe that he can be that, but I also don't think teams, opposing teams, are wrong to feel or question can Zach be that. Or if you can be that, like, is it worth committing forty-five-ish million dollars of your of your cap space for your third guy? And that's kind of the the issue that we are in as Bulls fans, or the Bulls are in more generally. That teams don't necessarily view Zach as anything more than that third guy. And do and is is that third guy really worth forty-five million dollars in today's cap space climate? Like, that's a that's a fair question, and I know we can push back on that, and we can say Zach is this, we can say Zach is that, and that he's worth his max, or he can be a you know a star level finisher type thing. But I also don't think opposing teams are wrong to at least ask the question: you know, is Zach really worth this? Given that he's not really proven it in those types of climates that you just sort of mentioned before, like the Sixers, like theoretically it makes complete sense, but at the same time, for you to take on Zach, you have to. And this is where all the losing really impacts things. I think one of the reason teams like the Pacers were prepared to offer three first-round picks for someone like Pascal Siakam is he's proven it in the playoffs. He was the second best guy, you could argue, on a championship-level team. Now, granted, that was three or four years ago, but he's at least proven that he can play within a team concept, a winning concept, can play both sides of the ball, is a six-foot-eight forward with an archetype that a lot of teams would like, whereas... Zach isn't those things in some respects because he's a six foot five shooting guard. But in terms of the winning and the intangible stuff, the questions that teams have around Zach Levine, I don't think they're wrong to fear or question that, which is, you know, me trying to be as objective about it as possible. I don't know if I'm wrong in saying that, but I, I guess all I'm saying is I don't think teams are wrong to be questioning that element of Zach because it hasn't been proven yet. I think he can prove it correct. But for a team to take that punt or to be the team to take the punt to prove that, it is a bit of a risk. It's a gamble. Yeah, I think, I mean, when you look at James Harden, for example, like he's proven that he cannot be that guy, though. Like, I think that you also have to take that opposite end of the argument into consideration, too. Not to say that, like, sure. they need him to be with the Clippers team right now where he's really the third best player. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's the bet you make is can James Harden be the third best player on a title team? I think he probably can be. Can Zach Levine, we haven't seen him succeed in that situation, but again, we haven't seen Harden succeed in that situation either. So um, obviously he's gone much further and had way more playoff success than Zach. It's not an apples to apples thing, but it is a question no matter where you go. And I think the other consideration here is like, how valuable is cap space anymore? Um, I, you know, obviously, you know, staying under the luxury tax or staying under the aprons is a big deal, but teams are not really like going out and signing star free agents very much anymore. You either re-sign with your team and then ask for a trade or, you know, multiple guys 
become free agents at the same time and they decide where they're going and then the team creates space for them. When you think of the Clippers doing that with Kawhi and Paul George and trading basically everything for including SGA and like 12 first round picks uh, to go get Paul George from the Thunder. So if you're the 76ers, like, yes, it's nice in theory to have this idea of all this cap space, but I just don't know what you're going to do with it. And even if they do roll it over into next season, well, you've got a max Tyrese Maxey. And so even if you re-sign Tobias Harris at a lower number and you bring back Covington and you bring back Nick Batum and you bring back Marcus Morris just to like keep those cap holes on your books. Okay, well, what are you going to do the year after that when the cap room that you have has just shrunk dramatically because you've maxed out your second player? And Mm -hmm. the other piece is like consolidating these contracts in the new uh, collective bargaining agreement is really difficult to do because if you're over the apron, you can't aggregate salaries to get a max player. So this is, I think, in a lot of ways, the last chance for teams to go load up on third stars. And as the cap continues to rise, maybe these things aren't as big of a deal as long as you've got those guys under contract already. So it's definitely tricky. But to me, I think the narrative around the league right now is like space over everything. But at a certain point, like you need to compete. And if you want to compete, you got to spend. And if you are going to spend, yeah, you don't like do it recklessly. But I just don't know that like trading for Zach Levine is going to really hamstring you when he's only got this year and three more on his contract. So again, I think I'm just like pushing back on the narrative about Zach right now. There's nothing I can really do about how everybody feels about him and what other teams think. But I just don't know that he's as bad as everybody seems to think he is. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. But um, I just can't move past the the actual situation of what is, I guess. I, I If only people could see our DMs, William. That, that's all I would say. Um, I'll just leave them or tease them with that. But I think you, you touched on something interesting there. Like the, the market dynamics of the NBA right now is kind of the reason why the Bulls are in the situation they are in right now in some respects. Because they can't trade their guys for something. They don't have necessarily have the draft picks to go backwards to do something, or at least previously. And you mentioned the the, the whole caps case game. Like, is it even a real thing anymore? Kind of not, because all of these guys extend with their current teams, get the bag, and look for a trade thereafter. So for the Bulls, like you don't have the premier draft assets to go in and, and do a tank or to you know pick up something because you're trying to you're you're staying in this win now route. Your guys that you do have don't necessarily have enough value for you to go and make one of these trades for a disgruntled star that you can bring in who's maybe signed with his team previously. But because there's none of these free agents entering, well, you know, any premier free agents entering for free agency, you're not necessarily going to try to move your guys to create a cap climate uh, or a cap situation for your team whereby you can sign these players because one, they're not there. And then two, you're sort of just having to, you know, pick up B or C level free agents which is why the Bulls are somewhat in the situation they're in where they kind of just do nothing because neither path or any of these other paths are seemingly going to move the needle at all. So it's just a vicious cycle in some respects. But I I think people have overlooked in some regards the way free agency has changed the landscape a little bit or the way the free agency landscape has moved and how that's impacted the Bulls' current situation in terms of why they continuously go back to this continuity well because, I don't know, like, all these other paths aren't very uh, fruitful either, or at least uh, potentially don't appear to be without completely completely botting them, botting, uh, botting them out, which they seemingly don't want to do as well. So like I said, it's a vicious cycle. It's problematic, but uh, 
let's see where it all heads, I guess. But um, we're going to continue talking about Zach, trade stuff, more slop. We'll come back and do that. But before we do, we want to tell everyone about our friends at ComEd who are making it easier for businesses to switch to electric vehicles. That's something, William, that we can all get behind for the health of the planet and for the well-being of all of us who share it. The electric grid is evolving to meet your cleaner energy needs as we all move with confidence towards an electric tomorrow. Whether you have one delivery van or a whole fleet of shipping trucks, ComEd can help guide you to make the changes that make sense. So, William, what should business owners do? Well, number one, they can go to comed.com slash clean to learn more about resources, fleet rebates, and infrastructure incentives available to help business go electric. If you own a business, don't wait. Start making your plan today to switch to electric vehicles. Good for business, good for the planet, good for all of us. Go to comed.com slash clean. William, did you say comed.com slash clean? Comed.com slash clean. Go now and see how going electric connects us to a better way of doing business and a better future for generations to come. And look, another man who has just been, you know, creating incredible business opportunities for everyone, for himself, obviously, but for everyone looking to get them ha- themselves uh, their hands on a Chevy. For generations, a guy at Raya has been doing so, and he's going to be continuing to do so. But William, tell everyone about our friend, Ray. Our guy, Ray Chevrolet, is ringing in the new year with the best offers all month long. Make your way to Ray Chevrolet on Route 12 in Fox Lake to join on savings and start your Ray resolution. As one of the top-selling Chevy dealers in the Midwest, you'll always be able to make uh, you'll always be able to shop one of Chicago's largest Chevy inventories. But right now, they're trying to make room for inbound 2024 models, so all their current inventory is must-go. Plus, you can find the perfect tailgate vehicle at Ray Chevy because that they have over 100 new Silverados available with price tags starting at $19,495 or take up to $10,000 off a new 2393 Silverado. That is incredible savings. And to top it all off, they are pricing over 125 vehicles under $20,000. Seriously, guys, can the pricing get any more affordable? I don't think so. But wait, there's more. They are giving out free oil changes to anybody who mentions CHGO. So when scheduling your oil change at Ray Chevy in Fox Lake, you can get a free free oil change. Start your new year off right. Visit Ray Chevrolet in Fox Lake or RayChevrolet.com to start your Ray resolution. They've been serving the community since 1963. Ray Chevrolet, find new roads. There you go. I think we might need to contact our mate Ray and see if he can offer a Chevy or two up in these Zach Levine, uh, Zach Levine sweepstakes. And maybe, yeah, maybe that, maybe that can... the pot a little bit. Yeah, just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Like, Hey, we'll give you Zach. We'll give you Caruso, and our mate Ray is gonna, you know, send you through or forward you through a couple Chevys. Does does that do a deal for you, Los Angeles or whomever? I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. If if Ray's looking to make some some deals as well, there's just some synergies across the board here. So, well, speaking let's, of let's uh, chat about it, little sweeteners, there was yeah. a little nugget today in something that KC wrote, and uh, this echoes a sentiment from Mark Stein, who wrote in his new newsletter the other week. Casey wrote, given that insurance is currently paying the bulk of his contract, it is conceivable that Lonzo Ball is used as salary matching addition to any potential trade the Bulls could make before the February 8th deadline. That is pretty juicy news to me. Um, not saying I think that it's going to happen, but it does kind of come off as an asset. I mean, basically right now, insurance is paying, I believe, 80% of con- uh, Lonzo's contract, meaning 
yes, it's still on your books, but you are not paying it. The insurance company is paying it. So that's like a lot of savings off the books for owners who could be interested in, um, you know, whether they're trying to get under the luxury tax or whatever, like that's a, that's a huge chunk of money that you're saving this year. I don't know what the rule is. I would have to check this out about whether um, another team can medically retire Alonzo after next year, but maybe you, you know, you, either way, he'd be in an uh, expiring contract. You could get the DPE for him again if he's unable to play um, or maybe be able to wipe him off the books entirely with the medical retirement clause. So that's kind of an interesting salary matching thing. And it makes me wonder, like the Bulls could have put Lonzo out there. They've got multiple picks that they can trade. I'm not saying they should, but they've got the Portland pick. They can trade starting, um, I believe, 2027, 2028, 29, 30. Obviously, have to do alternating years to avoid stepping rule. Um, but they have some stuff that they could ship out to make a compelling offer with matching salary to go get somebody. I mean, I don't necessarily think that they should do this because I'm more on board with going the other direction. But like, there's a world where they become buyers at the deadline. And I think that could actually be pretty interesting. You feel like that's a solution worth entertaining? Huh. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, I, I would be extremely surprised if the Bulls are buyers at the deadline. I, I don't foresee... I mean, I, and I guess I'd, the reason why I say that, like, the, there's been previous seasons where it made more sense to be a buyer at, at the deadline and they chose not to do it then. So doing it now kind of seems, you know, why would you do it now if you haven't done it in the past, I suppose? But maybe, maybe, like, maybe obviously the context of the Lonzo situation is different now compared to what it was one or two years ago. So, yeah, it makes sense on some level. I, do I see them moving on from Lonzo or using this within a deal? I, I don't know. Like, would would this be part of a Lonzo? Uh, sorry, a Levine deal or a, a separate deal? And, and I'm thinking I'm, it would probably be separate. Like, okay, this is just off the dome right now. I'm going to the trade yeah, machine yeah. to see if this is even legal. But like, oh, could you do you Lonzo and Patrick Williams for Gordon Hayward and a pick or something like that? You get expiring contract. Um, you avoid the issue of having to pay Patrick Williams if you're not comfortable doing that. And you get a contributor who's a veteran who can shoot, dribble, pass, and defend a little bit. Obviously, that's a risk, but um, like that doesn't seem totally crazy to me. And if you can get like an asset back and clear out a ton of space, I don't know. I could see that being potentially interesting. Um, but again, that was like first thing that came to mind. It could be a variety of other teams and uh, another situation. But you know, the Hornets are going through. Uh, an ownership change. Maybe they want to take a swing on Patrick. They feel like they are comfortable paying him rather than Gordon Hayward. You get the Ball brothers back together if Lonzo can ever make a comeback. Otherwise, no harm, no foul because you're not even paying his contract insurances. Um, I don't know. I can see that being kind of interesting. Yeah, that's. I hadn't thought of that one. One that I thought about was pairing him with Vooch and you know sending him to Golden State as an example. Um, they're I think they need some help in the center room. They've taken, I think Lonzo, assuming he could come back, would be a perfect warrior in some respects. But if not, then, as you mentioned before, uh, insurance is paying a lot of his deal. And if Laker wants to get off someone like Andrew Wiggins or another bad contract that they potentially have there and is prepared to give up one of their younger guys or future picks, maybe? I, I don't know. Like that, That's probably where my head was going. Again, not necessarily connected to the Levine stuff because when you then add Alonzo's 20 million to Zach's 40-ish 
now that's we're talking about sixty million dollars, sixty million that you have to line up or, or marry up in a deal, which is even more difficult maybe than just dealing with Zach alone. So, yeah, that's also be- like a a buyer move though, because you're still moving off of one of your players that obviously management believes in as a foundational piece, but. Mm-hmm. Like, could they have put together a more compelling package for Siakam? Like, is it, should we be like criticizing the Bulls for not getting in on the Siakam or OG sweepstakes when you had matching salary? You don't know what you're going to do with Patrick. You've got picks. Like, I don't know. I, I wonder. I'm not saying they should do it because, again, I believe they should go the other direction. Um, and we can talk about like if they're not going to be able to trade Zach, what they, what should they do? But, I don't know. I think that's a that is a path not taken for sure. Well, I mean, how would Patrick Williams be able to, to develop William if you traded for uh, Pascal Siakam? Like it just it just wouldn't be possible. Well, so. Patrick would be in the trade. Is my point. Like you would you would turn Patrick into something else. Bag, so I, I I'm aware. The real question is, could he could he you know survive next to Scotty Barnes? Wow. Let's not go there. Let's the Florida there. State boys. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, any more trade stuff that you want to discuss? There's a little bit flying around stuff that you know post the Siakam stuff with teams like the Mavericks, and maybe some other teams like the Kings, teams that were involved in the Siakam stuff, which we're hoping maybe they could enter into the Zach stuff. Maybe let's see. The, I guess that's a question. Like, are those markets connected at all? And do you, maybe less connected to the slot, but like, do you think? Do you think a team like I don't know? The Kings now, because they've missed out on a, on a Siakam, that they position themselves or continue going down that route where they want to target a two-way forward, or do they pivot to something like Zach? Do you do you do you think we'll start getting reports about teams that were previously in the Pascal st- stuff now coming into the Zach stuff? At least initially, post the Siakam deal, we haven't heard anything to that extent. But I'm wondering if you're hopeful that something like that could change, or if you think something would change like that. I think that's like the only way that teams start to, or that there's like some Zach Levine interest that begins to drum up. But uh, Jake Fisher at Yahoo Sports came out with um, some some trade rumors in an article this morning. We can go through some of them. Uh, this was prior to the Siakam trade, so some of this has changed. But teams like Dallas were interested in Siakam. They're also interested in Andrew Wiggins, PJ Washington, and Dorian Finney-Smith, um, as well as Jeremy Grant, who it seems like the Pro and Trailblazers are not necessarily interested in moving, but apparently the Kings are were a suitor for Siakam, and they had made Harrison Barnes, Kevin Herter, and Davion Mitchell available in trades. That was the trade package that I put together for Zach, and so maybe that holds and is something that um, the Bulls could get in on now that, uh, you know, like, I don't know if DeJounte really fits with the Kings. Like, I, I, if I were them, I'd probably prefer Zach, but... Um, you know, the money is a big deal. Obviously, Golden State was mentioned as a Siakam partner. I don't see them really being in the Zach Levine sweepstakes. I don't really see the Bulls trading Vooch like really under any circumstances. It just seems like they brought him back because they want him around. Um, so they'll have to obviously go a different direction. Phoenix could be potentially moving some guys. They've got uh, Grayson Allen and Nasir Little who make, I think, like 15-ish million combined. They could... Um, and they, they also have a four second round picks at their disposal. So they could package those guys to get another contributor. Uh, PJ Tucker is a, is a trade candidate. Um, let's see who else. Uh, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward. Miami has been linked to Rozier. 
I like that fit, but like, I don't know if I want $25 million of Terry Rozier on my books. I mean, people think Zach Levine is a bad defender. Like watch a Charlotte Hornets game. Um, and then San Antonio could make available McDermott and Chetty Osman, uh, as well as Devonte Graham, who's making 12 million this year, but it has only 2.8 guaranteed for next year. So that could be interesting. And, you know, it does feel like to me, a lot of these teams are buyers. There really are not a lot of sellers on the market. Even the Hawks, like I think that they would be looking to add talent back because they've got a ton of picks out the door to the, to the Spurs and the DeJounte trade. So, you know, I wonder who of these teams end up really being sellers um, or if there are any real sellers left, uh, which also, you know, makes you consider what are the Bulls doing when they could potentially be one of the few teams who has assets available uh, on a marketplace where there's a ton of buyers and not a lot of sellers. Um but do any of those names interest you, uh, just independent of Zach or not? And uh, I don't know. I like any any trade rumors that are particularly interesting to you at this point. Well, not necessarily for the Bulls in terms of buying, but I think something that again coming back to the whole Zach thing, like guys like Terry Rozier, Dejounte Murray, even Jordan Clarkson in Utah. Like I think those guys are indirectly impacting the Zach stuff too, and. I say that by I'm not I'm not suggesting that any of those guys are better than than Zach Levine or anything like that, but if I can get Terry Rozier and pay him 24 million this year, I think next year is only a partial guarantee, and then th- thereafter he's a free agent. If I can get a player who gives me 70 to 80 percent of Zach's you know production, but do so on someone who's earning you know 50 to 60 percent of his contract, that to me makes more sense for a team than trading for Zach. Similarly with DeJounte Murray, like we talked about him or we touched on him before, like his contract, I think this year is what, like 17, 18, 19 million dollars, something like that, something small. It, it kicks up a little bit next year and the four years thereafter because of his extension that he signed with the Hawks. But like he is a far more reasonable and palatable play from a cost point of view for teams that may be scared of the the first apron or going into that tax or pushing up towards the second apron. Even Jordan Jordan Clarkson, I don't know if he is necessarily available right now, given Utah is just doing this winning thing to an an extreme rate. Like maybe they wouldn't want to sell any of their veterans. But again, like someone like Jordan Clarkson isn't better than than Zach Levine. I don't know what you want to ascribe how much you know how comparable they are. But let, let's just say that Jordan Clarkson is sixty percent of Zach Levine. He's earning a lot less than Zach Levine. Like if I'm a team like the Sixers or the Knicks or insert whoever, like who wants to have that upgrade, why would I position myself as Zach when I can take a run on some of these cheaper guards who can maybe fit in a little bit easier, don't cost as much. And if it doesn't work, I have more ability to sort of pivot because either the contract value is not huge or there's just not the same amount of years as Zach. Like that's the stuff that interests me that guys like Terry Rozier, who's probably not as good as Zach, unfortunately might have more interest and more play within the market just because of, again, the market dynamics, which we discussed before, which is wild to think about. Yeah. Rozier making $23 million this year, $25 million next year, and then is a partial guarantee, but that guarantee is for $25 million. Um, So all likelihood he's back on the third year of the contract for $26.6 million. So that's still a substantial amount of money, but to your point, I mean, that's like almost half of what Zach Levine is going to be making but I think like the real opportunity cost for a lot of these teams, at least the New Yorks and Miamis of the world, is Donovan Mitchell and his pending free agency mm-hmm. after next yeah. season. Good like, is it yeah. does it make more sense for a team like the Knicks, who I don't think are in the Zach sweepstakes whatsoever, but 
rather than going out and trading for DeJounte Murray or Terry Rozier or one of these guys, does it make sense to hoard your picks? Uh, Two of those picks are protected, I believe, this year and not going to convey, meaning they'll have another chance to convey the following year. So those will continue to roll over from the Pistons and from the Hornets. Like, could you at some point package those for Donovan Mitchell? And, you know, if you're going to pay for a max player, you may as well get somebody who I think is much better than Zach. Um, So I think all those things factor in. Ultimately, if Zach gets traded, it's going to be, I think, to a team that's just like really desperate to make a move. And really, the Lakers are the only team that reeks of desperation uh, enough to like pull the trigger on that. We'll see if they actually go through with it. Maybe a Rozier or uh, Dejounte. I don't know about Jordan Clarkson either. Uh, whether he'll be traded, like the Jazz probably would sell anybody for the right price, but uh, remains to be seen. To me, like if you can't trade Zach, I just and this is maybe a good lead into next week's conversation, um, but I just feel like you ha- you still are obligated to make some sort of directional move right now. And so if it's not Zach and you don't know what you're going to get from DeMar in free agency and you have this opportunity to sell high on Caruso, like I still feel like they should really explore those options just from a value play. And I think the, mm-hmm. the fact that the bulls aren't operating from what do we do here in terms of value, I think is mm-hmm. always going to put them in a position of weakness, quite frankly. And uh, yeah, until they start to prioritize value over, mediocrity then i think they're going to continue to be mediocre what a perfect place to end the podcast (laughs) on that upbeat note let's call it a day uh william thank you for joining me today this was a fun conversation thank you to the nba for gifting us this uh pascal trade that may certainly made our job a lot easier in terms of coming up with a rundown but i'm hoping everyone that tuned in enjoyed the show thank you everyone for supporting us on youtube hit the like button on your way out Appreciate everyone in the comments, as always. Uh, apart from Anthony, who's suggesting that the the, the Bulls trade uh, Billy Donovan, which is just uh, ex- extremely disrespectful, Anthony. How dare you? But uh, yeah, appreciate everyone for tuning in. Apple, Spotify, all that sort of stuff. Five-star reviews, of course. William, you can follow him on Twitter at Will underscore Gottlieb. Uh, we on Twitter, CHGO underscore Bulls. You can get Matt and Big Dave there too. For whatever reason, I'm forgetting their handles off the top of my head. I apologize, Matthew and David. That is my mistake. Uh, I'm on, on Twitter, apparently, at two, at MK Hoops. The guys will be back for Bulls Toronto tomorrow. So, obviously, this is another element to this whole thing. The Siakam trade going down just before the Bulls play the Raptors. We don't know if that really changes the, the, the dynamic of that game too much. But, obviously, the guys will be covering, of course, at Ball Sports. What an idiot I am. Thank you, Dreads, for pointing that out for me. That's what Big Dave is. And uh, Matt Peck at Balls underscore Peck. How how could I forget that? How could I do my friends dirty like that, William? Just a terrible person. Terrible person. But as I said, William, Big Dave, Correct. Matt, that'll all be back. <laughs> as well as the King, Young Joseph Spathis, or Corporal Sergeant Spathis, whatever you are, they'll all be back to take you through Toronto versus the Bulls tomorrow night. So tune in then, friends. Let's see how it all goes. Again, the Bulls go against the New Look Raptors. Uh, William and I will be back some stage next week talking all things Bulls. But like I said, appreciate everyone tuning in. Speak then. Take it easy. Like the mayor. 